This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Victoria Bugs. She's an award-winning nurse, entrepreneur, and two-time combat veteran. Victoria grew up in Gary, Indiana, and at 18 decided to serve her country and join the armed forces. After two tours and an honorable discharge, Victoria opened the Center for Health Educators and Safety Specialists, a company dedicated to providing education, services, and certifications for anyone looking for life-saving skills. After I graduated college, I was like millions of young adults finding their way in life before I got my real adult job and experienced the existential dread of this is it. I spent a few years lifeguarding for the Y and Brick Bodies, but you couldn't just apply to be a lifeguard then get accepted. If you wanted that almighty whistle and the ability to strut on the pool deck and yell at kids whose parents couldn't be bothered to discipline them at home, you had to get certified. I paid for a lifeguarding course, and in addition to being measured for physical fitness, the course included certifications for AED, CPR, and oxygen distribution. This was easily 10 years ago, and though I never had to administer mouth-to-mouth or shock someone's heart out of cardiac arrest, I'm confident in my ability to provide those services if needed today. That confidence is something Victoria Bugs believes everyone should have, whether they're a healthcare professional or not. After an illustrious career in the armed forces, Victoria started her services-based company to provide people with the learning and skills required to save a life. But before she was an entrepreneur, before she was living in the DMV, Victoria was a young girl that grew up in a place similar to Baltimore, a place that often falls victim to the single story so growing up for me, I grew up in a two-family home with uh, three siblings. I lived in a community where I grew up from kindergarten all the way up to my high school year. Uh, growing up, uh, we were a very low-income low family. So growing up for me was always working, getting good grades, um, and contributing to the family household. However, I was very energetic. I loved people. I love to participate in sports and other extracurricular activities. So I was very busy growing up, uh, busy growing up despite of our financial situation. But my parents always encouraged me and my siblings to uh, go out and be great, I guess, participate in things and, um, you know, still live that lifestyle where um, we still were children. Uh, we still have friends and we still can, you know, participate in extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. That was my growing up. Very fun, very um, busy. Uh, um, I failed to mention that we also grew up in church. So we were always in church, the church at work and at school. So that's how I grew up. A few years back, I interviewed uh, another woman who is from Gary, Indiana. And I, I had this, I asked her this question and I want to ask you as well, based off of my experiences. And, uh, you know, obviously Michael Jackson was from Gary, Indiana, but over the years, Gary, Indiana has kind of gotten like this reputation 
kind of similar to how Baltimore had a reputation for a very long time. Uh, no thanks in part to a few HBO TV shows, sh shall we say. So can you tell me as somebody from Gary, Indiana, having lived there for so long and then moving away, how do you combat those stereotypes or that single story that people seem to have about Gary? Since I left Gary at the age of 18, I can honestly say my childhood years, my middle school years and my high school years, Gary was always fun. As like any other state, they did have a um, violence issue. But going back to my community where I grew up in was a subdivision called Etna. Uh, not too far from our local beach is um, Miller Beach. It has grown. They're uh, currently gentrifying our area. New buildings are being built. They're trying to demyth the fact that Gary is a bad place to live. Uh, people are migrating from different states, you know, sister states over. My parents purchased our house for $500 now today houses are being sold for six figures now well back in the day it was only you know five hundred dollars so i believe that our community in gary indiana is growing especially the edna miller area we're getting more tourists in we're building up the community so um despite of the bad a reputation that we've received in previous years we are now getting back on our feet uh, I actually just purchased a home in my um, uh, in my local uh, neighborhood just to give back and just to show people that you know we can give. We're growing. Uh, we have two African American um, a mayor and a senator now, so uh, they're doing great things in Gary, Indiana. A follow up question that I have before we continue forward. Um, you, actually, I will wait to ask that. Uh, well, I guess it could kind of uh, flow into the next question. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll just go ahead and ask it now. You mentioned that you moved away from Gary, Indiana when you were 18 years old. Did you move directly to Baltimore from Indiana? No, I actually um, joined the military. So I joined the military at 18 years old, just uh, roughly two months after graduating high school. And um, Maryland was my second duty station, Fort Meade, Maryland. And we loved it here. I, uh, My family actually stayed here in Maryland where I traveled throughout the U.S. and abroad. And uh, this is where I ended up calling home in Severn, Maryland, just about roughly about 20 minutes outside of Baltimore, downtown Baltimore. Uh, okay. And then can you talk a little bit about your time in the military? I joined the military in 1995. Actually, I was in the delayed entry program while in high school. After serving four years of ROTC, I just felt that it was the best thing for me. Uh, it was the decision I made as a very young individual, um, Black girl in Gary, pretty much not knowing <clears throat> what I wanted to be, where I wanted to go in life. Uh, ROTC was a lifesaver for me because it was it gave me an opportunity to lead, participate in things. Again, like I said, I, I grew up helping my family financially. So after graduation, I decided to, um, I didn't want to work at Burger King because I worked at Burger King from my freshman year all the way to my senior year. So I was like, this is definitely not what I want to do growing up as an adult. So I joined the Army where I initially became um, administrative specialist, which then was a 71 Lima. And throughout my years, uh, we um, changed our um, military occupational specialty to a human resource manager. 
And during that time, about my 10th year in the military, I had the honor to participate in a prestigious program called the Army Enlisted Commission Program, where I was able to get my nursing degree in two years and go to college at Howard University. I did not commission as a nurse in the United States Army. However, I was able to achieve several degrees uh, that the military paid for. And now I'm currently using those degrees as I am retired now. What motivated you to get your nursing degree? What actually motivated me and how this started is I actually was going to school for medical assistant. And I do have several aunts that are in the healthcare field. And as I was uh, discussing with them um, this prestigious program that I had the opportunity to apply for, uh, they immediately told me to go out for that program, uh, which is the Army Enlisted Commission program. It was to obtain your nursing degree within two years. I already had a bachelor's in health science as a health educator, so I just needed to do that. And at that time, even though I had no experience hands-on experience in nursing. I just believed that it was going to be a challenge for me. And it was a great opportunity to become a nurse at that time. This also was the time after 9-11. So a lot of individuals were getting deployed uh, to different hospitals, you know, helping service members and serving abroad in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. So this also sparked a lot of ambition for me, as well as a lot of curiosity for me. When you finished your time in the uh, the military, uh, I'm assuming that as we continue forward in your timeline, you ended up going back and obtaining several more degrees, uh, one of them being a master's in uh, public health. Was that also at Howard University or did you go to a different school? So actually, this degree was not at Howard University. I actually was deployed in Baghdad, Iraq, when I completed this degree. I actually started this degree here in Maryland. And then uh, while I got deployed, I completed that degree in public health. This was an online school, which is Trident University. And um, we we wrote a lot. It was a lot of research, dissertation, capstone, senior projects, and things of that nature. So that's how I obtained uh, my master's degree in um, public health. Uh, can you talk a little bit, if you feel comfortable, talk a little bit about your time in Baghdad? And as far as someone uh, that that's a master's of public health, master's of public health, <clears throat> excuse me, um, can you talk a little bit about what they do in the real world as far as work? Because I feel like people might hear a lot about MPH and public health. Uh, officials because of COVID and the pandemic, but they might not exactly know what they do or what they look like in, in everyday life. So public health alone, and not just the degree, but degree is the, one of the high, besides the doctors, one of the highest ones you've been uh, classified as a practitioner. But public health alone focuses on uh, health-related sciences and research. And um, during this particular degree, we do research to improve the different public health disparities or health disparities in communities, um, in different countries. Um, we actually advocate through public policy and advocacy, educating individuals, communities, how we can provide better services and access to health services due to these uh, related health issues and just bring an equal accessibility to all, to all people, to all, making it equal across the board. So let me dumb that down. Is research and health-related research through science and best practices, 
to educate communities through advocacy and through public policy. And then um, before we move forward, did you want to talk about your time in Baghdad? Yes. So during my time in um, well, Baghdad and Kirkuk, uh, five or six, I worked in five or six EMAs. I was deployed twice, so I'm considered a two-time combat veteran. I um, served at five or six EMAs, which is a, a level two combat hospital where I was a mass casualty liaison, where I um, called in um, support to evacuate uh, individuals from my hospital to a level three. So these were injured service members throughout different branches that we cared for and we coordinated their transportation and we reported their different incidents, whether it be wounded in duty, uh, death. These were the most critical times. Uh, we had several mass cows. We had several reports to write. And again, these incidents were nothing that we probably would ever see in the United States of America. My second tour was in Baghdad where I actually worked on the flight line, transporting and coordinating the U.S. mail to and from um, the service members. So mail would come in, it would be delivered, we would scan it, incoming mail and outcoming mail, and those mails would be delivered to uh, our service members abroad. We provided contractor representative duties to uh, civilians that also were out there working on the flight lines and distributing mail throughout Baghdad and abroad. Do you feel like those experiences there prepared you for anything in civilian life? Yes. When you're out in the field or when you're out in an unknown location and it's just you and uh, a small group of people from your organization during wartime, you begin to latch on to individuals, you get to know individuals better. I also believe that I had time, of course, to complete uh, my master's degree during that 12 months that I was deployed there. Just getting able to focus on myself without any distractions, I think that was another factor that helped me become the person I am. It was not a lot of chaos. So when it's not a lot of chaos, a lot of busyness, you can definitely focus on your goals and trying to meet your goals, uh, whether it is becoming a better person, whether it's advancing your your career in the military or just doing your best with your family, uh, communicating. We still had all that time. So it was not at a point where I didn't have time to better me. Uh, I did, and not just that, I connected with me. And I also found ways to make myself better, as well as the people I was servicing to, my troops that um, that were put before me to leave. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, I continue my conversation with Victoria Bugs. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Stay with us. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. And before the break, my guest Victoria Bugs spoke of her childhood in Gary, Indiana, her time overseas in the military, and how those experiences shaped her personally and professionally. Earlier, you mentioned you started your military career at 18 years old. What year did you uh, finish and, and were you discharged? So I retired in 2015 after serving 20 years, one month, and seven days. I have, a, <laughs> <laughs> I have an honorable discharge, and I could not have made a better decision in my life. 
<laughs> that leads right into the next question that we have based off of uh, the research that I was doing 2015 is when you decided to take the entrepreneurial leap and start your company. Um, did you always have that idea of starting the company once you got out of the military or like, did you get out and just find that jobs weren't plentiful? So you made a job for yourself. So entire year 2014, me and a good friend of mine, we always discussed about being a CPR instructor. So we should be a CPR, CPR instructor and she's not medical. And I said, that would be great. So many people need it. You know, I have to pay to renew my CPR certification every two years and I pay a lot of money. So I'm like, that's something that could be, you know, lucrative as well as it's not that hard to teach, and I love to teach. So I thought that it would be a great uh, avenue for me. I thought at first it would be something that I just wanted to do, you know, like a hobby, like or just for just uh, extra money. Um, I made that decision in twenty March of twenty fourteen. Got my certification, became an instructor uh, in October of twenty fourteen. I decided to take that leap and preparing to, you know, establish a business, right? Uh, do it, everything I needed to do, become an LLC, start the paperwork, you know, uh, register my business with my state, gather all the um, equipment, training materials, curriculum to teach. And in March, just, um, just as a Friday, it's been nine years, March 17th, I decided to tell the world about Center for Health Educators and Safety Specialists and become a, a a small business. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company? I know that there's CPR courses, but what other services do you offer? Well, um, currently we offer all emergency safety trainings. Again, we were established in 2014. However, we started our business and registering in 2015. Uh, we started with the regular basic CPR, first aid, basic life support for healthcare providers. We have grown over the years where we have added more courses, child safety and babysitting classes. Uh, we offer first aid. We offer um, bloodborne pathogens. We offer advanced cardio life support, PALS, which is pediatric life support for healthcare providers. We just started implementing our two new classes, which will take um, take effect starting on the March 23rd, which is our active shooter course and our mental health first aid course following that next week. So we are adding to our host of classes that are relevant. We are offering relevant classes to today's time, which we already know that active shooting training has been, been in the news for a very long time, well, just active shooting, as well as mental health. So we're here to educate and train all people um, in those two co uh, courses that are relevant in our time today. I want to uh, talk about non-healthcare professional or the importance of non-healthcare professional professionals having this type of training. But before I, I do that, I just had a follow-up question about the process for creating and offering new programs. Before the company offers those classes, do you yourself have to get certified in that? How does the process work for opening up a new course? Yes, uh, that is correct. So any courses that I offer, I become a SME, uh, su a subject matter expert in my in my um, 
course that I'm teaching, I have to be trained. I have to be certified. So all the courses that I teach, I am also a trained and certified provider as well as an instructor. So anything that I teach, I have been trained by somebody else to teach these classes and then implement them. So you have to become an instructor first to be able to teach and offer these classes. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Can you talk about the importance of non-healthcare professionals learning these skills like CPR and, and like AED certification, for example? I learned those back when I was a lifeguard. I, I never had to use them, but now as I go out in the world, I feel a little bit more um, comfortable in case somebody needs that help. So yeah, why is it important for you know people like me to learn those types of skills? The importance of learning CPR and first aid is that you want to know these skills just in case you have to use them. As you mentioned before, you've, you've been certified, but you have yet to have to experience to perform these emergency life-saving techniques. Can you imagine someone that does not know how to perform these life-saving techniques to their child, their mother, uh, you know, uh, a person that they care for? And only if you just knew these simple steps, 30 compressions, two breaths, activate EMS, you know, call 911. These simple techniques could have saved someone's life that you were in the environment of saving. So it is very important to know these life-saving techniques versus being certified, right? Some of us don't have the occupational requirement that we need to be certified. But just knowing for personal awareness, situational awareness, being able, as you said before, to perform, to know how to perform these life-saving techniques in case you need them. Mm, okay. I want to talk a little bit more about you again. Uh, we, we talked about your time in the military as well as uh, your college career. In addition to having your bachelor's and, and your MPH, you've also won several awards. And the one that I want to talk about uh, is the Maryland Hero Award. How did you end up winning that? I won the Maryland Hero Award. The requirement was a uh, uh, veteran business that served the community. I offer um, to my fellow brothers and sisters in arms, whether you're retired, military, uh, active duty military re reservists. I offer ten free seats in my in my um, in my business to all veterans a month, and I won this because I offered this to the community, regardless of where you serve, regardless of what branch you served in. As long as you're a military service member, whether retired, reservist, or active duty, I go on into the community and I serve my community by offering these free courses to service members and that's how we absolutely so, uh, so it, it just seems like that common theme or it seems like the common theme for you in your life is just service to others you know service to the country and yes. just being that um that caregiver for your for your community so i i think that that's very uh commendable thank you of course. Uh, so we're going to start wrapping up here. I always ask these two questions. We'll start with this one first. What is coming up next for you and your business? I know you're going to be offering those two courses, uh, but where do you see the business in the next one to three years? So the business in the, um, the next one to three years, we will be opening up several other trainings um, to the community. We are currently now of a service disabled veteran, all small business 
we are looking to procure some government contracts and um, begin to serve on the federal side. Currently, we are serving on the local and state side. Um, we work with, I work as an independent contractor with the Maryland State Department of Education, educating child care providers uh, on medication administration, helping them open up schools on the medical side, making sure they're trained. So we're looking to do more um, contractual work. Um, we, we are also looking to hire uh, the second quarter um two more full-time individuals to help support the increase that we're getting now. Um, and also just offering some events around the community that, um, you know, a lot of people want to become, learn more about um, CPR and first aid and other courses that we offer. But we also want to encourage individuals to become instructors as well. So in May, we'll be um, offering more uh, instructor training. Actually, we're going to have a CPR summit here in Maryland. It's going to be my first one that I'll be hosting. So um, this, getting more, getting back into the community, giving back to the community, helping our community be able to be equipped to save lives in the future. Okay. And then my final question for you. Um, your company serves the DMV area, it's Maryland, DC, and Virginia. And obviously, based off of everything that we talked about, uh, you ended up settling here because Fort Meade was your second duty station. But in your time here, can can you comment on or uh, discuss what makes this area so special and unique? Opportunities. When I first got to Maryland in 1998, um, me and my husband noticed at, at the very beginning that this place was special to us coming from Gary, Indiana. It was like literally coming to, um, the environment was different. Let's put it that way. The environment was different. The opportunities were there. And when I say the opportunities were there, they were there for me and my husband, not just having to, um, uh, apply for jobs that were minimum wage for him because he was not in the military, but good, decent paying jobs. And from that point on, uh, you know, that song, we started from the bottom that we worked our way up to the top. And this was just a place for us to grow at. And uh, we just settled here because we liked it. It um, We've advanced a lot, not just in our military careers and my military career, but both in our personal careers as well. Victoria Bugs, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for having me. That was Victoria Bugs, owner of Center for Health Educators and Safety Specialists. If you want to get certified in CPR, AED, or a host of other life-saving skills, check out CTR, the number four, H-E-S-S dot com to learn more. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by Your Public Studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at wypr.org.